episode is brought to you by Pros. Thank you for making our show a possibility. Welcome to If These Ovaries <laughs> Could Talk. I'm Jamie. I'm Robin. And we're your hosts. Let me show you. How do I get the sperm through custom? I am a lesbian. So I think gay. It's so gay. We need to tell our story. It's not your nuclear family anymore. It's not just your mom and dad. Thing. We're not ruining these little humans. It's not for the gay reason. Just because <laughs> we stay. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi, guys. Oh, you're back. You're back with us. You're back. And we're back with you. Wrapping up February, Jamie. It's like 2022. Uh, as weird as it is, we keep having all kinds of tech issues. It is going uh, and it is flying by. Is it though? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, we're I mean, a sixth of the way through the year. Is that is that weird? All right. Yeah. Well, that's one way to look at it. I just keep counting down till winter's over. I just keep counting the day every single day. I think I think in my head, I can't do this anymore. I bought one of those sad lamps that I'm yeah. using to try to not have bad seasonal, bad, depression. seasonal depression feelings. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. I had one of those when I lived on the ship and I didn't have a window in my room. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about this news item we want to discuss because oh. this is crazy. So this is, pertains to like a recent episode with Lily and Virginia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Straight to IVF. Yeah, yeah. And they had the baby. They had the baby. since They did. Yeah. Congrats. Woo! And Yay! and their company, that I guess they both work at BP, put up this, you know, kind of like a, you know, families come in all shapes and sizes story about them on LinkedIn. It with was a like, beautiful picture of them. Yeah, like with the hand on the, the baby, belly. all that stuff. Like, oh. you know, and it says, we're especially excited to be a part of the next chapter in their love story when our benefits program made IVF accessible, enabling Virginia and, and Lily to start a family. Amazing, right? So great, right? Except. And then. And then. And then. And then, and then apparently, so they forwarded this to us. They said they wanted to share this. They posted it for Valentine's Day. Hundreds of comments were deleted by LinkedIn, Had and some, be. and some that were left are still hard to digest. Um, yeah. But the the hatred and the vitriol, they got some which hate. yeah, was like so crazy. They got, some serious hate. they got a lot of love. They sure did. So they sure that's did. One thing we could say, but they got some serious hate from like other BP employees. In other countries who cannot stomach homosexuality. That was a lot of them. But the, the thing for me it's so crazy is LinkedIn is a workspace, you idiots. If you're a homophobe, mm. if you're a crazy idiot of a person, do you want to have another job ever? Like, why would you put this on LinkedIn, these horrible comments? Well, but I think it's okay to be a homophobe and, in some places. In other countries. Yeah. Cultural. And these comments that I read, some of them were like, this is so offensive to me. You're trying to be inclusive, but you're excluding those of us who don't condone this lifestyle. Yeah, you're like, excluding like, people who hate. <laughs> uh, it's just insane. It's insane the things people say to spew their hatred. I know. And, and what they have to put into their heads to like be okay with being hateful human beings. I, know, I just I, I felt so, so bad for them because it's like they've yeah. just had this wonderful life moment. They've had a baby, mm-hmm. you know, and then to like have and have the company highlight them. You know, mm-hmm. and, and what was mm-hmm. so interesting is that Virginia said that the head of communications like reached out to them to check in on them, which I thought that was pretty great. wonderful. Like when really corporate great. corporations do the right thing, that's amazing. Yeah. But man, it's man. it's like I think sometimes and it maybe it's just because of like our job and all the people we talk to. I think I'm guilty of being in the bubble and forgetting mm-hmm. that there's still a large portion of the world that that doesn't want us to have families that doesn't like our our lifestyle i'm putting that in air quotes 
I, I just forget sometimes. That thinks we're sick. I think you're sick, yeah. Jamie. They think we're sick. <laughs> just kidding. They think we're sick. And I think we're sick as in cool. Yeah. <laughs> Fat as in P-H-A-T. That's what we are. Our families are are um I can't think of another one. I got here. I we lost, ran out. I lost we ran out. It. You I did so it. good Dang. though there for a minute there. Dang. I didn't see that Dang. sick thing coming. That was good. Well that was done. Good, right? Well done. But yeah, that's just, you know, ugh. we love you too. We do. And we love all of you who are out there, you know, being your true selves and yeah. loving yourselves and, and, and making your families and fuck them. Yeah. Fuck, fuck them. them. And I'm so glad that that before that happened, like we were able to post their their story mm-hmm. and have it be like a positive thing because that that's some some turdiness happening over there yeah. on the LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, oh, like Jamie oh, said, oh, we oh. love you. All right. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, Edna. Edna just brought me a cup of tea. <gasps> okay, guys. So here's you the thing. Have, you guys are never going to believe All this. right. So Helen went on <laughs> vacation, right? So she was like, I need a vacation. I've been working so hard. And Jamie and I were like, have you? But we were like, whatever, <laughs> take a vacation. I can't make our lives harder. I mean, it's like <laughs> you don't do anything. So you don't do but, anything. But Helen, easier without her. I, I'm like whispering because I don't want Edna to hear. Helen says, "But I, I've got my sister Edna. She can help." And then she goes on to say all this stuff about how Edna's sort of like worthless and all this yeah. crap, right? And we were like, "How much more worthless nope. could she hey. be than you?" So we right. said, "Yeah." Right. Guess yeah. what? Yeah. Edna's fucking amazing. She's so wonderful. She just brought me tea. Oh my! She's I, on top of everything. I know. She's going above and beyond. I mean, but what are we going to do, Jamie? Are we going to have to like, I mean, can we keep Edna? Like, are we going to? I don't know. We can't pay. We can't keep both of them. We can't pay them you both the, nothing. But I just want to say, you know what the biggest problem I'm seeing here? What? Is our crazy minds and how <laughs> much story we have put into this <laughs> fake story. That's what so I want to say. fake sister of our fake assistant, Helen. That's I amazing. can't even. Listen. We have listen. really put a lot of thought into because this. Because I'm dreaming of what it would be like to have an Edna. All right. One of these days, we're going to have some help. One of these days. Edna, you're, thank you. She just said I look pretty. Oh, my God. All right. Yes, you're right. She's the best. Thank you for that. And she also just gave me a time cue. She said we should probably get to the intro. But she's so gentle about it. She's got to stop watching. I love how she's in both of our houses at once, I know. That I love. Or we're together. (laughs) Wink, wink. All right. Today's episode, we have Mm. listener Libby and her partner, Duncan. Oh, I love this story because this it is a reminder of uh, another reminder of how vast and different our community is, mm-hmm. our beautiful, beautiful community. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like we're just going to like roll right into it, right? Shall we? Mm-hmm. Edna. She already Edna. she already rolled she, it. God damn it, Edna. We love you. We love you, Edna. Oh, yes, we oh, do. Yes, we do. We love you, Edna. Oh, my God. <laughs> what is wrong with us? Hi, Libby and Duncan. Welcome. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. Hi. Oh, my God. We're so excited Thank to you have for you being here. Where are you zooming in from? We're, we're coming in from Somerville, Massachusetts. More specifically, we're in our hybrid office slash sewing room. Look Ooh, at you with the sewing room. Fun. You sew? We both sew. Yeah, we sew together. What I heard is if oh, you get out the of the cutest. city, you can have a sewing room, Jamie. That's what I heard. <laughs> slash office. I know, not bedroom slash sewing room slash everything. Everything. Place my cat lives. Um, Okay, let's (laughs) start with you two. Let's just get off this tangent that we're already on. And let's start with you two. And let's do your elevator pitch, right? 30 seconds. And don't be scared by the timer that I'm going to put up on the screen. Because, you know, we never cut anybody off. So Libby is prepared, though. I can see it already in her eyes. Um, (laughs) 
Let me yes. get ready. Okay. All right. On your mark, get set, go. All right. I'm Libby. I'm a 32-year-old cisgendered woman, and this is my partner, Duncan. He's a 29-year-old cisgendered man. But wait, it all looks so hetero, but we're both queer. Um, we met and fell in love in San Francisco four years ago. And since then, we've had a mid-pandemic cross-country move and engagement, and Duncan has started a business. We also started our path to parenthood by beginning to save money towards adoption. In all of this last June, I finally came out to my family and my friends, despite being a practicing queer since high school. And then following our engagement, I'm starting to have conversations with our community about our plans to adopt. And I'm learning that we have a lot of weird questions that we're going to be answering for the rest of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. So you fit right in with our community. There it is. We have a lot of questions that we're going to be answering for the rest of our life. I love that you worked in, but wait, there's more. That's <laughs> You put in some suspense into your, I love it. Yeah. Yes. And we should um, point out that you reached out to us because you were a listener. Yeah. And you haven't really heard your story told so much on the cast. I think Ooh. there's a couple pieces that I feel like are important about our story, which is one, just like. Being queer people in a hetero presenting relationship has challenges. And like, I just want to say at the top of this conversation, I want to acknowledge and like really respect that we have like being a hetero presenting couple comes with a ton of privilege. And I don't want to discount that. Like we can navigate the world without stigma in the same way, but there's a really intense emotional side to this. And especially when you choose a long-term partner who is of the opposite sex like it's like I felt at least like my community it's like my sexuality just like stopped mattering Mm. kind of because Mm. coming out is so recent for me it matters to me a lot I'm still figuring it out and it's stressful and then additionally what I think we am really proud of how we've handled is like the financial side of our plans to have a family and um I kind of just generally think especially young people should talk about money earlier in their relationships than we do. And Mm -hmm. I just, I wanted to kind of share how we're thinking about it. Not that it's the only way, but just like introduce a conversation where money has been a really big piece of um, building our partnership. Anything you wanted? No, I agree with all that. You said so much there, which I love. That's a lot. The first part that you said that I think is really important. It's something that you and I talked on our pre-call about. You know, you were like, I'm not sure if our story fits for the pot. And I was like, you're you're part of our community. Like you, you know, you to me, it's like you stick a flag in it. You say that you are a part of our community and the door is open and your story should be told. And so I'm and I know Jamie, I'm speaking for Jamie here too, but we're so glad you reached out so that we, you know, so that we could help, you know get some representation for, for folks like you. Cause it's, it's, it doesn't sound like an easy path to me. I would have thought it before we interviewed someone like you. Yeah. You know, well, we did interview one other, uh, Mina, woman Mina Dubin, Mina Dubin, Mina Dubin, Mina Dubin, Mina Dubin. We'll get it. Oh. We'll get it. <laughs> and we worked so hard to get it during the episode. And then yeah, anyway, okay. So Mina, um, she uh, is also married to a man, but also queer, um, bisexual. And she actually expressed a lot of the same frustration as you. So I'm really excited to have you guys here to just kind of talk about what what that's like, because it's already hard enough as it is to come out. It's already hard enough as it is to to um, embrace this 
queer part of ourselves because there's a lot of internalized stuff. Yeah, can we? Can we? Sorry, I was gonna say, it. can we start yeah. there? Can we start? Because it's like you said, yeah. you're practicing, but only recently came out. Can give us talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, is it okay if I go first? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, so I, my story starts a long time ago. I grew up in Berkeley, California, which. Um, I always say is a place about which all the stereotypes are pretty much true. Um, so true. You're so right. It's so true. Yeah, and one of them is that there are a lot of queer families there. And like, I didn't really mm-hmm. understand that the fact that I grew up with lots and lots of people who had parents who were lesbians was unusual. Um, mm-hmm. And like, there just is like a lot of queerness in the Bay and in Berkeley in particular. So when I was sort of figuring out my sexuality in like middle school and high school, it just wasn't a big deal. Like it was like every kind of everybody comes out at least as bisexual. And then some people go like, never mind, I'm straight. Like that's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. And so I never really came out, but like never really didn't. I just, you know, made out with boys, made out with girls, like, you know. You just sewed was, some out. It was you open. Sewed, I sewed my little Adolescent oaks. <laughs> yeah. It was open. You were open. Yeah. And it seems like the community you lived in was very open. Right. Definitely. And it just wasn't like, it just wasn't a thing. Um, but mm-hmm. then I, uh, my parents moved us to Michigan when I was a junior in high school. And that, and then like a couple experiences at camp in Minnesota was the first time I really experienced like actual homophobia for the first time. And oh, really? especially college um I went to a really great school in Michigan that's like pretty rural and like attracts a lot of rural Michigan and just like different you know just people from all different backgrounds than Berkeley California I wasn't out out but it was like it was a tiny school where everybody knows everybody so if I like hooked up with a girl that was well understood by the student body and uh, there was actually a pride flag burning while I was at school by oh. a student. Whoa. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. What did the homophobia yeah. look like since you weren't you weren't out? Yeah. You know, so. Well, yeah, I mean, I think people I wouldn't have told anybody I'm bisexual, but mm-hmm. I was known to be a bisexual person. I guess it's kind of it was mm-hmm. just like in the mm-hmm. in the like anyone who's gone to a small liberal arts college probably understands like there's just like this miasma of personal information that you know about people and you don't even know why. (laughs) (laughs) So, so there was the pride flag burning, which was pretty memorable for me. And it was like hurtful as a thing, but also hurtful that more people weren't upset about it. Like Mm -hmm. it was just like really brushed off and then more direct things of like, you know, I was an RA and like my residents would come to my room and ask if I wanted to like sleep with him and his girlfriend, like things like that, where it's oh just like, Oh my God, really? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. There's this like, because you're that girl, because you're the bisexual girl. All of a sudden you're yeah. in the threesomes. I mean, yeah. like, mm-hmm. right. which by the way, exactly. if you are fantastic, no judgment. Sure. I'm, I'm merely saying that's an assumption one should make because you're bisexual right. or queer. And especially you're, in that yeah, position. You're bisexual, so you must be freaky too. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, there's like a sexualization of bisexual women mm-hmm. for sure that I mm-hmm. saw a lot of. And then just, it wasn't a particularly pro-queerness place. Like mm. it just, it just wasn't. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of microaggressions along with those bigger easier to identify stories of like really feeling like I just felt uncomfortable and it was having come Mm -hmm. from this place where it was like such a safe 
place to be queer, such a safe environment. And like coming through like the majority, like my early adolescence, I think a lot of people are figuring it out. I was just like, it doesn't like whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to kind of go through it. And then at like 1920, having to go like, whoa. So I just didn't ever come out. I just, I just Mm -hmm. didn't. I lived in Michigan for a few years after college and then came back to California and I dated women pretty casually and dated men less casually. Like my serious relationships are always with men and then met Dunk and we were getting pretty serious. You know, we moved across the country. We decided to get, we were getting pretty close to deciding to get married and I had what I refer to as my crisis of queerness, which was basically like, how gay am I if I marry this dude? And like, am I okay with that? <laughs> and it didn't, and you um, didn't feel like you got bonus points because he was also queer. You weren't or was <laughs> like, you weren't like, look at maybe that when we just wear more flags. <laughs> well, oh, that's my, that was going to be my question. Yeah. Flags everywhere. No burning flags, <laughs> no. just flags, free flags. Yeah. No, but that was going to be my question. You were dating, you had, serious boyfriends but you were dating women casually Mm -hmm. did you did you tell your serious boyfriends about the casually dating women scenario yeah i don't or was that something that you kept to yourself i don't not specifically like it's i'm thinking back and it's not like i like sat them down and was like intentionally had a conversation but when you talk about past partners like i wouldn't hide that i'd been with women i didn't Mm -hmm. really talk to my family about it and like around this period of like pre-engagement queer anxiety. I um, was just like texting my best friend, who's a man about how I was feeling. And he was like, Hey, Libs, just need to stop you for a sec. Cause like, you've actually never come out to me. And I think we need to like, really do this if we're going to do this. Whoa. And I was like, Oh, Andrew, like, thank you so much for saying that. Cause like, I didn't know. Um, right, right. But in terms of like, do I get bonus points for marrying <laughs> a queer person? I don't think I get who keeps the score? You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I don't know. You tell me. That big toaster giver in the south guy. <laughs> yeah. But I think so, like the main thing was like that led ultimately to my decision to come out formally to my family and my friends. And that was really it was a really uncomfortable period of time. And what I think the benefit of being with a queer man was is that I think that like part of it was my marriage anxiety manifesting as like a queer questioning area, but Duncan was so supportive and didn't find that threatening. Like when I would ask questions like, you know, did I end up with you because I wasn't, I had internalized enough homophobia that I wasn't comfortable having a life where my partner was a woman or like Mm -hmm. taking those relationships seriously, or honestly being nice to those women. Like I wasn't. So Mm. he's always been super receptive to those questions and those conversations because I think because he understands it in a well, way that can we talk about you understanding it Duncan and like y- your, yeah. your journey in there where you came from and when you all started talking about this yeah um I guess I'll start by saying like Boston was probably a little different than Berkeley <laughs> when it came to uh <laughs> maybe just a little, <laughs> little, bit. <laughs> little bit how how open it was I mean it's certainly a blue place um but it wasn't like there were no memes about how everyone in Boston in the nineties was coming out as queer <laughs> and then reneging on that. Uh, and then there's probably a gendered component to it too, which is like, you know, being a, a queer or bisexual or 
woman at a university setting is like just like is a is a less is less offensive to some people than I the for sure I was gonna say I would think in a lot of ways maybe you had it I wouldn't want to use the word harder but like challenging it's just different yeah there's a there's this there's definitely a stigma yeah. placed on definitely guys. and I think it's kind of like when a woman makes up with a woman in college it's a phase or a just a fun mm-hmm. or it's you hot. Know, better it's size hot hot, yeah, thing yeah. to do. I mean, that's literally, it's what my yeah. dad told me when I came out. Okay. Ah, you know, a lot of you girls, you it's just that time of your life. You like phase. to experiment. <laughs> yeah. You just practice yeah. in for your husband. You're like, I do like to experiment and I think I'm going to keep experimenting. <laughs> Whereas like for men, it's like, it's, it's like one drop of being gay. It's like, you're definitely gay. And yeah. the extent to which yeah. you're like saying you're bi or queer or like in the middle is just a, it's the sort of halfway house before you get yeah. to like, there is less allowance totally, for, um, for guys to be anywhere in the middle of that. Yeah for, yeah, for bi and queer in general, it has always been yeah. like everyone, like us gays are always like, oh, come on, you're gay. And then the straights are always like, you're gay. It's like there's there's no, <laughs> nobody's supporting the bi's and the, you know, the folks that are. Except us ovaries. We, we got you. We got <laughs> you're, you're under our tent. You're under our ovaries. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it's definitely gotten better since I was like growing up. Yeah. At least. And maybe it, it could be a combination of me getting more comfortable with it and talking about it um, and just growing up mm-hmm. and being more sure of myself, but also I think more nuance about gradients in the spectrum on a bunch of different things has entered the discourse in a good way. So when did you come out like in college or before that or? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think Libby talked about the privileges of being buyers living with a bunch of different types of folks is like. I don't have like a big coming out moment. I don't have like a date circled mm-hmm. on my calendar where I did a thing really. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because when you like date women and sleep with women as a man, like people just don't ask questions. Uh, right. One of the privileges I do think I have is like, I don't have to go around and sort of identify all the time. I just yeah, kind yeah. of am me right. and enjoy that. Jamie says a lot. Don't make assumptions. Like I wish people wouldn't assume we're straight or I wish, you know, and it's like in, in your case, you wish people wouldn't assume you're straight too, which is so interesting. I almost wish there was like a little, like, like a little button or something. We could just pop up. It's got a little rainbow flag on our shoulders. So we'd be like, yeah, yeah. This is just <laughs> when yeah. you're ready to pop it yeah. up, like boop. Yeah. <laughs> it's gotta be something. There's gotta be something like that. We I need like we a signal. Invent that. Like a bat signal. Like a, like a, on the nose, on the nose. Isn't it a rainbow flag? <laughs> <laughs> I think we already have it. It's we called have a something flag. like that. We, I don't know. Listen, symbols are always evolving, but we have the technology. Yeah. Touche, sir. <laughs> yeah. But I'll say this uh, for me, like I, I am guilty of making assumptions about straight couples all the time. Yeah. I am guilty of making assumptions in that the husband is chilling and the mom is doing the work. And I do. I make that assumption all the time about my straight friends which is not cool at all. Um, and we have to do away with the assumptions because we don't know what's going on behind anybody's eyes, what's going on in their heads, what's going on in their hearts. Um, and there are a lot more queer people out there than I think even realize it. I, well, you know me, I always say- She I thinks think everyone's queer. Scared. All the time. They just don't yeah. know it yet. Statistically, like Kinsey would agree with you. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're not wrong yeah. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right, I think everybody's queer. They're just afraid of it. Yeah. Well, what I think is so interesting is, you know, one of the themes that we talk about all the time on our podcast is intentionality, the intentionality with which we create our families, with which we parent. It sounds like your intentionality with money and with adoption, which we're going to come to. But like, I can see like this big piece for you, too, um, of having to 
you know, like you don't want to lose a portion of who you are because you're straight presenting. And and I could see I would want I wouldn't want I would want my kids to know the real me. So that is important to be thinking about. But I could see how, how hard that would be to come out after you have a straight presenting relationship. Yeah. How did that go down? By the way, <laughs> were they all out. like, what? Why are you? Um, I think there was a range. I'll tell you, my, my little brother's reaction was like the best. So I'll start with that one, which is that um, we were in the kitchen. I think it was after I told him we were going to get engaged, maybe. But so my brother was cooking and I was across the kitchen and I just I came out and he asked all these like, he's much younger than me. He's six years younger than me. He has Mm -hmm. grown up in Michigan. He definitely is a queer ally, but like, I would say his perspective is limited. So he asked all these like really beautiful, like, well, questions. And he like put down his spatula and he was like, wait, so like, have you had sex with a woman? (laughs) And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. it took everything in me not to laugh so hard because he meant it. (laughs) Not in a funny way, but I was just like, yes, (laughs) I have. Yes, I have. Thank you for asking. I I appreciate this newfound closeness as we talk about this really uncomfortable territory. Yeah. (laughs) But like, I would say more generally, the reaction from people who I came out to like directly was respectful, but not like, not confused or dismissive, but basically like sort of giving me space to say what I needed to say and then being like, okay, but like you're with Duncan. So like, and I was like, so yeah, yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) true. Um, And like, I did frame that a lot around like, like this is just something I need to do for me as part of my like comfort level. I regret never doing this. And like, there's definitely an element of apologizing to my family of like, I didn't want to be lying to you. And if anything had ever gotten serious, I would have told you. And the fact that I didn't is all about me and not about you guys. And I think that's really true. It was just like about stuff I had to work through. So Mm -hmm. I did feel supported, but also it's kind of been like a one-time conversation. Like it's not something we've continued to talk about. Well, I'm sure they don't know what to say. Like, you know, still feel queer? How's Duncan? You know, it's like, it's like, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would know what right. to say. I mean, cause short of like that girl's hot, right? Like, well, I don't know how they can connect to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I will say they weren't <laughs> surprised, which actually was really gratifying. I was oh. like, oh. like my mom in particular yeah. was like, yeah, I'm not surprised. And I was like, great. Like maybe this was more a part of my life than I realized. Like maybe this was more a part of like how I communicated my identity than Right. Yeah, that, right. I found that actually like super validating. Yeah. Huh. You know what, Robin? No, Jamie. There is really, truly no one size fits all solution when it comes to hair care. Did mm-hmm. you know that? That's true. Listen, it's true that a product that works wonders for curls might make straight hair limp and greasy. And now that I have this short hair, I need something that won't weigh my hair down so that I can style mm-hmm. it, even though mm-hmm. I don't know how to style it. And thanks to my personalized pros routine, I can honestly say I have never been more in love with my hair. Oh my God, don't I know it. Um, hair products matter. And pros makes custom hair care that's effective because it's personal. Using natural ingredients with proven results, pros customizes every product in your routine from shampoo to supplements. Yep. And first, Pro starts by asking about you as a person mm-hmm. with their in-depth consultation, which I love. They really asked me some unexpected things like, <laughs> 
How much do you exercise? Who's ever asked you that in regards to your hair? But those things matter when it comes to your hair. If you're washing it all the time because it gets sweaty daily, you're going to need a different product than someone who doesn't wash every day. Yeah. Some folks can't wash every day and some folks have to. Well, I know I have to. And and that's (laughs) one of the things that I love about pros. They analyze all your answers and determine what unique blend of ingredients should be in every product of your custom routine. Pros got all my hair goals covered. All of them. Yeah. You know, I just started using Pro's Custom Dry Shampoo, mm. and I really am loving it. It gives my hair the texture I need to style it, but it doesn't look like it's lathered in product. You know, oh. it's all about the texture with the short hair. It's all oh, about the I texture. love that. Also, yeah. as a carbon neutral certified B Corp, Pro's is an industry leader in clean and responsible beauty. All their ingredients are sustainably sourced, ethically gathered, and cruelty-free. And they are also the first custom beauty brand to go carbon neutral. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Yeah, and if you're not 100% positive Pros is the best hair care you've had, they will take the products back, no questions asked. I love that. Oh, amazing. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. You're going to go to pros.com slash OCT. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash OCT for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. Sweet. Let's transition a little bit to this idea of kids. Like, I mean, so you have the option to do it the old fashioned way and make a baby, but yet you're going to choose adoption. So tell us about that. Yeah. um, You really hit the nail on the head there. Is that like we have all the ingredients and we have an (laughs) oven and like got the hopper? (laughs) Yeah. So I um, really just didn't think I wanted kids at all through pretty late in my 20s. And I had another long-term relationship. And late in my 20s, I had a big traumatic thing happen in my family. And um, through that, my relationship ended and like my family structure kind of went through a lot of challenges. And like in all of that, my ex wanted kids and I didn't. And then when he left, I found myself really disappointed that I wasn't going to have a family with him. And I was just like, mm. well, crap, what is that about? Like, <laughs> I don't even have time to deal with this because I'm dealing with this other like family major thing. So like, shoot. <laughs> so mm. therapy was a really important part of that process. Um, I was really lucky to have tools and resources to get to a place where I just eventually figured out, like, I just don't want to be pregnant. Like that's, that's not a that's not a part of what makes sense for me and my body. Um, but it was, you know, it took me 28, 29 years to get to that. And then having been through all of this, just like upheaval and stress and like trauma, I came out like in my late twenties, I was just like, screw everybody. I'm saying exactly what I want. And if people are into it, they can like get in or get out. Like I'm not screwing around. So Duncan and I, I do not think we were officially like a couple yet. And we were in my car driving to get dim sum. And I was just like, so I want to adopt. If you want biological children, I'm not the right person for you. I said it nice. <laughs> but like, I was just like, interact, bud, let's go get some dim sum. And my memory of that conversation was she was like, okay. But I actually, I realized leading up to this conversation with you guys, I've never talked to him about how that felt for him. <laughs> so well, let's find out. <laughs> Duncan, <laughs> you yeah. have a microphone, Fancy sir. Fancy having you here. <laughs> it was, no, so uh, 
it wasn't like a fireworks moment because it was something I had like processed in my own right. So I think I'd always wanted to be a parent and raise a family. Um, but having biological kids was never, I don't want to say it never made sense to me why everyone was so obsessed with it, but it was like, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like I personally had that same drive that I see a lot of people have to have their own biological kids. Mm-hmm. And then there are some, like, I guess, more societal and like ecological and generally abstract social reasons why I was, I was into the idea, which is like, there are a lot of kids out there who don't have the support that they could benefit from. And I'm not particularly interested in having my own biological kids. So it makes sense to give those kids homes and support and love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd already had that thought process in my own brain before I had met Libby. And I had, you know, by not being the person who's personally going to get pregnant, I didn't have to deal with like, <laughs> that didn't have to go into my calculus at all. It was all sort of like theoretical heady stuff, not like, ah, I don't want to do that. Um, so when she said, I was like, yeah, that's very much a non-issue. And I've always been pretty interested in adoption. So all good. Let's go Perfect. get dim sum and have a good time. And it didn't like register to me as seismic as what I think it registered to Libby at the time. I was like, oh, wow, that we just aligned on something that I was that isn't that you were like cool i already felt that way so yeah okay yeah. Like, that works it's yeah. not everybody who is okay to adopt yeah at, by choice no like, it's no. not Agreed. and i didn't think it i would necessarily find somebody who was like right out the gate okay with that so like mm-hmm. i was bracing for a bigger conversation and it was really not <laughs> and then we got dim sum and it was delicious <laughs> so then it was just like how do we pay for adoption basically because you already were like we're, we're, we're both on the same page yeah, I and I would, was, oh, sorry, I would even say it was one click before that, which is like, oh, all right, it's an idea in our head, but there's a lot of practical details we don't know. And I would say still don't know. Um, right. Well, we weren't in a committed relationship when this happened. Like, it was like two months into dating is my memory. Like, it was not. It was you were screening. I was, I was, yeah, I was, like, I was interviewing. Yeah. Um, I sent him to HR. Question. It's yeah. important. You don't want to go too far down the road if you're on different, no. you know, opposite pages with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's intentional. Here we go again. Intentionality. Right. There it is. Right. But we didn't revisit the practical details of that alignment until much later. Yeah. It wasn't like the conversation over dim sum it was like, how are we going to pay for adoption? It was like, right. it was a date. It was a date. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you didn't open up like a bunch of, spreadsheets and start planning it out right then. No, I think that was more, that was more recent. I don't know exactly. I would say our financial conversations generally started when we moved in together because Mm -hmm. our financial lives became intertwined. But like, I would say between this initial conversation and that like more serious, like we're entwining our financial lives. There was a period of time where like, um, I'm pretty close to my sister-in-law. She had our first niece and I was close to her through her pregnancy. So I sort of had this like gut check of like, yeah, I really don't need to do this. And then also (laughs) I got to have like my nieces look exactly like my brother. Like it's, Mm -hmm. so I got to see like, oh, I have relatives who are babies who look like me and that's fun, but not fun enough that I feel like I need to do this. So I had like Uh some sort of I'm a scientist, so I like tested my hypothesis a little bit. <laughs> like, I love it. Like, I love that. I came that. through that being like, yeah, I'm really sure that this is the right way to go. I mean, uh-huh. you will never get an argument from Jamie and I about how much <laughs> having a baby stinks. Yeah. Not the yeah. kids. Well, so my mom, I'm the, the, I'm the second of four kids and I'm 
six and 10 years older than my younger brother. So like, I have like pretty clear memories of my mom being pregnant and she loved, she was one of those people who was like, oh, she uh, loves, I love it. My mom bring on the chili fries. Like she was, she had false she, advertising. She had both my brothers at home. Yeah, I had a mom like that. And I, that's why I felt the need to experience pregnancy because I thought it was the special thing yeah. that women just love. And, and, and I did not. I did not at all. I did not love it. It was not fun. <laughs> We're like adoption yeah. seems like a really good Thank route. Thank you for seeing that. We are yeah, here it wasn't for you. Fun. It was very hard. And also yeah. it doesn't matter. My wife has no genetics to either of her kids. And she is like, they have her traits, some of them the good traits, some of them the less good traits. Like, you know, they can't find their way anywhere. But, you know, that's because they're raised by her. <laughs> For me, genetics mattered so yeah. much. I need, you know, and now I know it doesn't make a difference at all. But it took me having to go down that route. Yeah. So however you get to it is how you get to I it. I totally respect and support people who do want to have biological kids. It's just like this is a fully like Libby centric. Like, I just know it's not something. I and need. it should be. You should try to go about it the way you want to go about it. And I mm -hmm. mean, the thing that makes me really angry is when we we had this one post that we put up about a podcast and it was about two gay men and they were and they were millennials as the two barons and they were early in the season they were talking about all the different ways and they couldn't figure out how much it was all costing and it and it and it blew up on on that like pantsuit nation uh facebook group like you know at the time 600,000 people and just like all these people going into the why don't you just adopt and and like there's babies out there it's and so it's like selfish. yeah and it's like you know we have to we have to figure this out and pay for it no matter what. Like, but what if that's not the right path for me? I, I would never go to any straight couple that chooses to go to a clinic and be like, why aren't you adopting? Like, you should try to go down the path that you can or want to. Yeah. Well, and like. Stop assuming. Stop judging. This idea that it's fine for any, like, anybody ever to comment on how I choose to build my family or not is like, it's wild to me. This yeah. happened when I, yeah. when I used to think I didn't want kids like people would just be like oh you'll change your mind or like oh you will oh, or just yeah. wait a couple of years and that is so dismissive to like to you? I was like pretty solid I was like I reserve the right to change my mind and I did but like I was like this is how I feel and I'm a grown-ass lady and like how yeah are you? <laughs> like, mind your business right. yeah and like spoiler alert I'm still getting some of that and I think that we will um, um you know adoption comes with a lot of questions generally so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, wh where are you in the adoption process now? Like you're like you're just at the beginning stages of researching. I would say I am well past the beginning stages of researching. We're both planners, but I'm the real planner. Uber, I'm the, <laughs> Uber I'm the plan like, actual. Planner. I'm the nuttier planner. <laughs> uh -huh. um, Here's the spreadsheets, <laughs> Libby. Here's the spreadsheets. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So. In terms of the financial piece, we have agreed on a five-year timeline to raise, to like save $30,000, which mm -hmm. it, it varies by state and it varies by type of adoption, but we're, we've kind of approached it from like, that's a really good chunk, a really good situation to be in if we need to like aggressively save for another year, if we want to start the process knowing that like the legal stuff can take a couple of years and we're just going to need to have it be a financial priority at that point, but we are, um, we're both on that savings train as far as I know. I just quit my job, so I've paused it for like this month. But <laughs> pause it's a little less, <laughs> less hiccups happen. Yeah, I, I recognize the irony in talking about saving for adoption while I am not working, but um, <laughs> I'm curious to know how'd you come up with that number? 
just through like general research in Massachusetts, which is where we live now, the average is about 40,000 from what I can tell um, for adoption adoption in general, general, like a private adoption, like, yeah, through a lawyer average. Right. And there's not in New York, there's some stipends. Um, I also would be like, we're not sure what type of adoption we want to do. Like Mm -hmm. foster to adopt, I would say is very possible as an option Mm. i want twins duncan doesn't understand how crazy (laughs) that is so he's like cool whatever so like we we're just trying to keep our options open by putting together like a good chunk of cash over the next few years so that we can like if we need to pursue other financial strategies like we at least are we have a leg up Mm -hmm. does that sound right yeah, and I'd also flag like I'm not sure this early on this getting the number right is the most important bit as much as like opening up the conversation for us to be like, okay, what can we reasonably save? Mm-hmm. Where does this rank on our set of priorities versus other things you might save for a new car, new house? And both committing real tangible resources towards this same goal. And like you said, there's hiccups. So like when you choose to stop working or other financial hardships thumbs like we can revisit that conversation okay mm-hmm. delay all, all that so um i think the most important bit for us was like let's have an honest conversation with each other about what our finances look like let's talk about a proportion of that within striking distance of what would be useful for adoption and let's both commit to to saving towards that shared goal we have it's yeah. amazing good for you I, I don't think i've ever saved for anything in my life so <laughs> Good job. I wasn't as good of a saver until we got together. Um, And some of that is like, I learned, I didn't talk about money with my ex and it wasn't great. But the other piece that like, I think Duncan, um, I hope you're comfortable with this term. (laughs) He uses his white male privilege to empower others. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you don't mind me saying what I haven't told you I'm going to say yet. So here goes nothing. Um, I, like, oh. I didn't hear it though. What yeah. did you say? He uses-, he uses his white male privilege to empower the people around him. And I, mm. as his partner have really benefited from that. And like, he was the first person who introduced the idea of like, there's money that you put away and that's one way to save and give yourself a financial advantage. But like every time you're not advocating for your financial wellness, like at work in terms of salary negotiations, um, going after promotions you deserve, like there's saving, but there's also making sure the funnel is open enough to be fairly compensated. And like that conversation came from, I had a really messed up situation at work where I was not compensated appropriately. And I was just like, so frustrated by it. I just like put it away. And it was around the time we were moving in together and he like sat me down and he was like, Hey, like if we're going to be a family and be a household, you not pursuing this gets in the way of our shared goals and of what we can do together. And you did frame it as like getting our kids when we want to get them. And like, I'm so Mm -hmm. grateful because that really shifted my perspective of like, oh, it's not just being frugal. It's not just like being careful with money and like working on a savings goal. It's like you, you have control over the in valve too. And that takes work. And especially women And I think queer people Mm -hmm. who are not used to advocating for themselves in that way, like I really needed that cheerleader and that strategy and that sometimes uncomfortable push to like to go for it every time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that it came up. And I still do. 
That's a great reminder. Yeah. It's great. And also, he, he's not wrong. Like, savings isn't just about the amount of money you put in your savings bank. It's like all of your strategies that you're using to move things forward. And that's another strategy is like, get more income. You know, that's, yeah. you know, that's, and that's real, especially if you're being underpaid. Yeah. And like, there's get more income where you like go get a second job. There's also get more income where you like work to make sure that your job is giving you what you deserve. And I like, mm-hmm. I was not doing that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not easy. It is not easy. And it's mm-hmm. scary every time. <laughs> every time. But like, it's you so gotta scary. do it. Like, you just do. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. Yeah. But it's like, like I say, that white male privilege is he's just like, if I were in this situation, I go in there and ask for like this much. And like, no, they not, they're not going to get the worst thing they say is no. And I was like, worst thing they say is no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's devastating though. <laughs> yeah. But at least, you know, you asked. And if you, even if you asked mm-hmm. and you get 85% of what you asked for, that's better than, yeah. than never asking. And even or like if you ask and they don't give it to you, you know that that's not a place that's going to support your financial. Like I have my own financial goals that can fit within an, like a workplace organization's financial goals or not, and that's mm-hmm. like a choice I get to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, my fears with asking for what I am worth. My biggest fear is that they give it to me and then they expect way more of me, and I don't have enough to give. And that's why that's why a lot of times I stop myself because I just I don't want them to expect any more than I'm already giving because I already give all I can give. Yeah. You know, and so if they if they up my value, then they're going to up the expectations they have of me and I have nothing else to give. So that's where that's how I cut the tap off. Mm. That's how I stop myself. Um, but it's really good advice. And Can it's I really... respond to that? Briefly? Yes, please. Yes, please. So I that's think what this is for. <laughs> I think that a lot of women feel what you're feeling, which is that like mm-hmm. you're already stretched th- so thin and you're already giving so much. What I feel like we don't do that, like often our male counterparts do is go in and go like, this is what I'm already doing and you should be paying right. me more. Yes. And yeah. that's like that, right? That's the conversation that like I wasn't having that I learned yeah. to have. From Duncan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether the premise that the baseline is correctly set today yeah. is it, its own conversation. And then you yeah. can have a conversation right. about, okay, what would I need to do in, in addition to, to earn more? But it's like, if the baseline's right. already unfairly set, you can have that conversation. You should yeah. have that conversation. Yeah. You're right. You're so right. I know Robin's really good at this. I'm not, this is, this is a very hard skill for me. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, when I had my day job, all the millennials and the, the young folks would, I was like a den mother and they would come sit on my couch. And they'd be like, I feel like I owed a raise. And I, and I had a document that I would have them work through. And it was always like what I was hired to do, what I'm currently doing, what my goals are, you know, what the other things that I, I've taken on that I, that I want to do. And when you, when you write that, when you do that exercise, it's the most powerful thing because you realize, hey, I was brought in at $50,000, let's say, and I was only supposed to do these five things. I now do 100 things. I deserve more money. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have I have grown in this job. So, Jamie, like to, to what you're saying is like, yeah, you're stretched thin, but you're doing more than what they brought you in to do. Ninety five times out of 100. That's the, the case. It's so rare yeah, that I met true. anybody that was not doing a lot more than when they were hired. And that's your moment to say, we have to look at all that I'm doing. And then you do that last section so that you can say, yeah, I want to grow so that they can justify a promotion. But it's like you do have to you got to write it down for yourself and you got to move it forward. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it is true. You, you have to advocate for yourself. And it's like, and, and just to bring it back around to like what we're talking about is like, as you go down the adoption path, as you talk about like 
your your queerness like this is all advocating for yourself it's all standing up for yourself and saying i deserve more whether it's more support or whether it's i deserve you know i deserve to be a mom and also you know? for me it's saying i have committed to this type of family with this person and i am making my decisions and working to make sure that that type of family with this person is possible and intentionality i didn't start out there i got a i have a real like lone wolf complex we had to get there together but um mm-hmm. duncan has a lot of patience and we did <laughs> <laughs> we did get there and like it's a it's a choice that we make all the time that I feel really happy with. And then also like totally unrelated, like having time to like really focus on our careers because there's not a biological imperative to have kids, like gives us even more tools towards that future. Yep. Hmm. And um, I want to ask, has there been discussion between the two of you around once you have your kid explaining your queerness to the kid or, you know, creating a world in which queerness is a part of your lives have you thought that the, that the part of the children's lives maybe this goes back to those rainbow flags that you were talking about Duncan. <laughs> right are they just going to be everywhere <laughs> um i've been thinking about that a lot i think a lot of stuff from your podcast has felt helpful for those conversations like just having the books that you guys talk about like in our home is a goal of mine i want to get them for our nieces also who you know they have hetero parents, but who knows where they'll get end the, up someday. Get the gift box. Yes. It's a car Our shelves. Gift box. Our yes. shelves. Our shelves. Yes. But we haven't talked about that a lot. It's important to me that it's like a developmentally appropriate conversation. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that in five years there will be even better tools, but I'm starting to. My like research plan is I'm just kind of like poking around. I like, I just, I I just read articles, you know, just poke around. I watch like YouTube videos for taking care of different textures of hair. I watch like foster parent advice videos. Like I'm just kind of, I'm planting those seeds for myself. And, um, Mm -hmm. well, and I'm going to, I'm going to like negate something I said earlier. I said like, you have to do it because, because your relationship presents heterosexual. But if you do end up adopting, that actually forces your hand and that opens up this whole origin story conversation where you're talking about, you know, where your child, you know, where they come from. And I think that actually is a place where you'll be able to put it in at developmentally appropriate milestones. It's actually very similar to very. same-sex couples. Yeah. Very. yeah. And I'm hoping that we will have other parents in our lives around. Community. And maybe, yeah. And like maybe even seeking that community to make sure that our kid, like our playgroup exposure. So helpful. If, if yeah. you were able to, it's really helpful. We talked about books, but there's like a bunch of ways in which we teach children through stories, the movies we watch and the books you read and the fables you tell and all that stuff, uh, even mm-hmm. the music you listen mm-hmm. to. And so just making sure that there are a bunch of different stories represented there, that there are queer families in that or queer people in that. Um, but not just that, I mean, adopted people or people with, different ethnic or racial backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you got to pull that into the home. And then I think Mm -hmm. when topics come up, letting our children know that we're a part of whichever parts of them, you know, topic Mm -hmm. of of queerness comes up. We'll be like, well, actually mom and dad are like that. Yeah. It's not that unusual. There's a bunch of people who are like that. Um, Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff I think would be a part of how we raise our kids. But also say, I haven't thought that much about this subject. Like there's a bunch of, (laughs) Other ways to do it, I'm sure other people have thought of that I just haven't. And you have time. You have time on that. You have plenty of time. Totally. Yeah. The thing with um 
the thing with our families is, you know, the kids figure it out eventually because we're two, we're two ladies and we look different than their friends' parents. So they kind of figure it out. And so the conversation has to happen in our houses. It doesn't necessarily have to happen in your house, but it does. It actually yeah. does have to happen because it is your identity. Right. Totally. When you guys talk about intentionality, that's like, that's exactly it. It's like, you can either let the world teach your kids about gay people. Right, right. That's a low percentage shot of that ending well. Because <laughs> the, the standard could use a shift. Not the or best. you can take control of the situation and own the narrative before, mm-hmm. you know, your child has a, has a tough conversation in the schoolyard or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is just surrounding yourself with yeah. the rainbow, not just the, not just the queer rainbow. I'm talking about the rainbow of diversity cultures and diversity. Yep. Yeah. And making sure they're um, around other adopted kids too. Like yes. that's its own yes. identity yes. that yes. we need to respect and foster. Yes. Yes. And, and yes. just like, in just the short time that we've talked to you, there is no part of me that believes that you aren't going to handle this amazingly and, you know, with intention and with love and, you know, cause you're tackling it all head on. It would be mm-hmm. so easy to continue to brush things under the rug, and you, neither of you are doing that, and I love that. So I'm so glad you Gosh, reached out. So right. we could. Oh no, we're right. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna do great. Yeah, you're gonna do great. You guys are great, and yeah. we're so glad you reached out. We're gonna call you in like seven years and be like, guys, <laughs> <laughs> you guys were in so much trouble. Yeah, we could do the we could do the episode. Just like <laughs> cut to the episode where there's like wailing children in the background, and we're yeah. like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not handling it amazingly, Robin. You lied to her. P.S. We didn't say, we did not say that. If you go back and listen to the tape, I never said you wouldn't fall apart. I think you'll handle it. You're going to fall apart. Oh, that's coming. It's going to be hard. Oh, Oh, it's going to be the the hardest thing you've ever done. There'll be moments where you'll look at yourself and go, why did I do this? Why did we do this? That sounds more like it. Why did we do this? This sounds more accurate. We could have taken that 30000 We could have gone on a really nice vacation. Why do we do this to ourselves? <laughs> we could have been half in our retirement. Why does this child keep screaming at me? I just said to my <laughs> eight-year-old. Yeah, maybe that's the call. We should have bought we call you guys in the future like, just kidding. <laughs> no kids. New and Tesla. then all of a sudden we hear no. the doors of your Tesla go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just, I said to my daughter as we were leaving today, I said, you know what? You know what? Nobody yells at me as much as you yell at me. <laughs> How did, she, how did she take that? She was like, well, it was bad. She was like, you're making me feel terrible. And then there was a big apology session and we had a whole, we had to talk it out. So it was a bit, it was a big morning. It was a big morning, <laughs> but we got somewhere. Say, it, it sounds useful yeah. for both of you all. What's <laughs> some of those feelings? It's the hardest job you're ever going to have, but it's the most rewarding. Wait. It's going to be so good. Yeah. You're going to do amazing. And you're going to come back and tell us how it all shook out. We can't wait to, you're in our family now. You're part of it, but it's just the way it is. You can't get rid of us. We're going to show up at your house, ask for dinner. Guys, this is so great. Like this is, this is also not a conversation we had to have a lot. So being able to really talk about this, it's like, it feels like such a gift just to talk to you guys. And if it, if it helps someone listening, like that's cool too. But I'm just like, I feel great. I think it will. I'm going to be a great I know. (laughs) Listen, you guys are great. And you are a part of the family now. We are invested. So you have to keep us posted. And, um, you know. We're just so excited for you. And this is going to help people for, for sure, sure. This conversation. Well, thank you so much. Thank you both for doing what you do. Yeah. Oh, Libby and Duncan. Oh, come on. I mean, I have to say that just really warmed my heart was, was Libby's openness about just trying to figure out fitting into the LGBTQ community. I mean, and all mm-hmm. those fears mm-hmm. about coming out. I mean, just that was wonderful for, for her to just share that with us. 
Yeah, agreed. For both of them yeah. to share and be open. It's not easy. It's not. It's not easy. I respect that journey, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not easy to share your true self. It really yeah. isn't. Well, and especially, yeah. I do think like... It, it, oh. <laughs> Jimmy's dog has got a lot to say about this episode. Um, but especially if you, you know, they present as hetero out in the in the world and... And that's, you know, that's, that's tough Ooh. because it's like, you don't want to lose your queerness. And I'm telling you, Duncan, just so supportive. I, I, can't, I can't wait till they get those kids. They're going to make great parents. Yeah. So do you guys have thoughts about today's episode or about anything ovaries related? You can go to sayhi.chat slash ovaries. You, you can leave us a voice memo up to 60 seconds and we might use it in an episode. Okay. Uh, Jamie, mm-hmm. our next live stream, Thursday 3-3 is canceled. We have to say that. Why is it canceled, Jamie? Well, it is because we are having a special one-night-only event that evening. Yes. Thursday, 3-3, March 3rd at 7 p.m. Eastern, you guys. Yes, and it is about the safety and well-being of donor-conceived people, regulation, talking to kids about their origin story, and the intersectionality of all these issues with the LGBTQ community. Bring your questions. Bring your questions. We'd love to have you there. Yeah. And if you miss it live, you can catch it on our YouTube page later. We also want to say if you want to follow us on the social media, Ovaries Talk on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. If these ovaries could talk on YouTube, and you could support the podcast and join our community on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash ovaries talk. Don't forget you will get bonus content if you do that. Yes, yes, yes. And we have to do a thank you to our sponsor, Pros, and a huge thank you to all you Patreons who are helping us make this show. We really thank we you. Thank we thank you. you so much. And I apologize if you heard my dog barking during this interview. <laughs> On that note, we're going to say eggs. We have to go. Ovaries. <laughs> out. Let's get a drink later, Edna. Oh, my God. Have, Edna just out. offered to take your dog out for a walk. That's the Edna I know and love. I know. Oh, fucking hell. Edna. If these ovaries could talk, they would say. Eggs, ovaries, out. <laughs>